Welcome to Walking with God, Pat Berry and Jeff Quinto's podcast, where Pat and Jeff talk about their walk with Christ. My name is Jeff Quinto. And my name is Pat Berry. Every few weeks, Jeff and I get together and talk about our walk with Jesus Christ. This week, we're talking about Adam and Eve. And when I first uh, started looking at this, I thought, oh, this is going to be this is gonna be a lot of fun, which it is still going to be fun. But I thought we were going to cover a, m- a multitude of different questions. You know, like, well, where was the Garden of Eden and all this kind of stuff. But I, the more I looked into it, I thought, we're going to start in a certain place because if if we want to just delve into this one area because I think it's it's important for, for people to look at. And you'll see why here in a few minutes. So Adam and Eve, were there just two of them? Were there actually only two of them or were there more? And what, what's the deal with this? <laughs> well, what the deal is, it is that as terms of looking at the Bible, we look at the Bible as if it's some sort of a newspaper or a, a, a textbook or something, and we think of it as one kind of literature, when in fact it's a variety of kinds of literature. But we don't understand that because we're actually less sophisticated, in my view, in terms of types of literature than the original hearers. Now, I use that word hearers because the Bible was first heard by a specific historical people who had a unique culture location and way of understanding the world around them. So it was written, it was heard by, I should say, this specific Hebrew people who were unlike us, and they understood things in a different way than we did, and their life experience was different than ours. So it was first heard by this people. And they were an ancient people, but they were not an unsophisticated people when it comes to literature. They would have understood the story of Adam and Eve for what it actually is. And is it a story of two people? Or is it a story, is it meant to be a representation of us? What do you think, Pat? Well, uh, I would have said for a long time, oh, it's, it's, it's two people. But the more I start to, to really read into it and think about it, uh, I'm thinking it's more of a representation. And what helped me, I'll give a little plug here, Jeff. Uh, I, what helped me is when I took the Bethel Bible series, because in that we teach, there's a couple ways to look at the Bible, which is the Eastern way and the Western way. And we look at it the Western way, which is we look at something and say, how did that happen? That's what I do. And I still do that sometimes. How, how did that happen? Well, what, what about this and that? And we start questioning things in the Bible rather than, than looking at it as a whole and, and kind of saying, well, why does that happen? Why would that be there? And that, that, just changes the way you look at the Bible. And when you do that, you're able to look at things in a different way. And I think you're able to get more meaning out of out of the Bible rather than just getting hung up on things that really aren't important from a large vision point of view. Yeah, oh, that's, that's certainly true. And interestingly, I'm going to be quoting from a book that was written by a former professor of mine, Matt Slim, who was one of my Hebrew professors. And he wrote a book, which I highly recommend, called This Strange and Sacred Scripture. And Matt Slim is the author, Dr. Matt Slim, I should say, is the author. And he talks about things. And it was one of the wonderful things about going to seminary is that your, your eyes were open to possibilities that you didn't understand. Now, I thought that Adam and Eve were probably real people. I thought maybe they were a representation of early people in some way. I wasn't hung up on it so much, but I didn't understand the fullness and importance of it um, because I read the words, and the words say that God created Adam, and then he created Eve, and 
they live in this Garden of Eden, and then they're thrown out of the Garden of Eden, and then they go on with their lives in a different way. So I was not exactly sophisticated. I thought that I was, but I wasn't. And so learning the Hebrew language helped me to understand. And back to what we said just a second ago, you know, these ancient people were not unsophisticated in terms of literature. They understood that not all literature is meant to read like a textbook or a newspaper. There are different types of literature, a whole host of literatures in the Bible. And when we read them and we think that when it says that the the uh, um, the, the trees elected a leader, as, as it does in one of the things— we know, because it's so obvious from that, that the trees didn't get together and talk to each other and decide on a leader. That isn't the way it worked. It was meant to be representative. But some of this other stuff that's meant to be representative, we take as fact, and we, we, because it isn't so obvious. And this is, a, this is a case of that. So let's talk about the story of Adam and Eve and how it would have been heard. Remember, they were heard, not written. How it was heard by the specific historical people who had a unique culture, location, and way of understanding the world around them. How would they have heard it? And let's look at the names because the names are important and they were done for a purpose. The name of the first man, Adam, is the ordinary Hebrew word for human. So Adam the original Hebrew hearers would have known that to be humanity, not so much an individual, but humanity in total. And Eve, Hava, actually means life. So they would have seen it as the story of humanity and life. The specific people are representative of all of us. So we can see each one of us in this story. And so we have that as a start, as a start to this. So we have Adam, which means humanity, Eve, which means life. Now they had children, didn't they? They had children. Now, this is interesting because this is where wordplay comes in. And those of us that are that are not fluent in Hebrew have no idea what this is meant to show. So looking at the name Cain, which is Kaim uh, in Hebrew, it sounds like several Hebrew words, including get, take, jealousy, funeral song, and especially spear. So we have this name Cain, the first child. You can think of him as people who would have heard this first would have thought of that means spear. So we have a child named Spear. We have a second child named Abel. Abel um, is the Hebrew word, is a word used to refer to fleeting breath. Like one sees on a cold morning, it's there one moment and it's gone the next. Obviously, and I'm reading now from uh, Matt Slim's Strange and Sacred Scripture, I'm reading from that, and he says, obviously the character Abel in Genesis 4 very much resembles a fleeting breath. He illustrates in both name and character the fragility of human experience. Holy cow. So these names mean something, and they would have meant something to the original hearers, but we look at them and we think, well, there's a guy named Cain, there's a guy named Abel. It doesn't occur to us that those names actually have a deeper meaning because we don't know that deeper meaning. Now let's look at Eden. Now they were in the Garden of Eden. Now, Eden means bliss, delight, and luxury. Holy cow. Bliss, delight, and luxury. So we've got a garden of delight, a garden of luxury. The original hearers would have heard it that way. They wouldn't have been confused. And also, they wouldn't have tried to find this on a map because, you know, it says, well, this is the confluence of all these rivers. The rivers go in different directions. They, they go actually away from it. It would be impossible at any time in history for these rivers ever to come to the same place. They're just not going to happen. And the original hearers wouldn't have been troubled by that. They would have realized that this is a representative story. This is, this is meant to be a metaphor. It's meant to teach us something. It's not meant to be a factual story that 
that we start writing down. But you know, as you said a minute ago, Pat, you know, we are Greek thinkers. We are we are Western people. We want to know exactly how this happened, listing it one, two, three, four. This is how this worked. And when we do that with this kind of a story, we miss the whole point because that isn't what it's meant to do. And so reading once again from Matt Slim's this this strange and sacred scripture, our English Bibles could be summarized as follows. Adam and Eve live in the Garden of Eden until they are kicked out where Cain kills Abel. That's sort of a summary of the whole thing, right? That's it. There we are. They live in this garden until they're kicked out. That's it. Okay, now let's substitute then the way it would have been understood by the original hearers, the people that it was written to, these Hebrews. It would have sounded like this. Humanity and life live in the Garden of Delight until they get kicked out where spear kills fleeting breath. The English Bibles suggest that Adam and Eve are distant relatives, ancient figures we might have something in common with. However, the original Hebrew text invites readers to see these characters as mirror images of ourselves, as representatives of humanity as a whole. So there it is. They're representatives of humanity as a whole. We're meant to see ourselves in this story. We're not meant to critique the story on its factual impact. We're meant to look at it and and say, you know what? I don't know this factual, but I can see that it's the truth. Yes. And it is the truth. Importantly, it is is the truth. You know, in the Bethel series, we have these buttons. Um, I bet you've got one, Pat, don't you, that says, thank Hebrew. Hebrew. Yep. <laughs> and that's the idea. It's meant to remind us that we're meant to think like these original hearers. We're meant to think like a Hebrew who would have understood it in this, in this way that is much more complicated than what we're used to. I'm so thankful that for this book by Matt Slim. I'll read the title again, The Strange and Sacred Scripture, because it points this out in a, in a beautiful, understandable way that brings it to light. I hope that uh, for those that, that are listening right now, they understand why we just wanted to, ta- to tackle this particular question. And I can I can envision people saying, hold on a second, what did he just say? And they're the back, I would say like rewind, I'm dating myself here, but backing that up and, and re-listening again might take a couple times to actually get this, I, I completely understand. It's a, it is a new way of, of thinking about things. However, I think if you, if you, if you do, Think of them not so much as as the literal, but like, what does this mean? Can I see myself? Actually, the story itself doesn't change. The story is the same. The lessons are the same. Everything's the same, except we're just replacing two literal figures with just humanity in general. And really, I think it's a good lesson for all of us because, you know, the sins that are there, that's their, That's human beings. Human beings, if left to our own devices, do really bad things. That's there's so there's all the lessons that are in the original Adam and Eve story. When it's just you know the mom and dad and two sons, that doesn't change. Which is the beauty I think of the story and the beauty of of looking at it in a different way. That might make people uncomfortable. I understand that, especially if you were if you were raised on that story, and there were there were two people, and that's the way that that uh, you are looking at it. I get it, but if you look at it in a different way, it doesn't change. It doesn't change anything. In in fact, I think it makes it it makes more sense. It oh, makes absolutely. more understand where you're like, okay, now I can I can see that just because of all the other questions that surround 
surround this, one of my the most popular ones is, hey, where was the Garden of Eden? How many times I can remember as a little kid, where was the Garden of Eden? Where was the Garden of Eden? Where? And nobody could answer it. Right. Because, you know, right. uh, about, I think I heard uh, some, some pastor at some point say it was the whole earth, which, okay, it, you know, I mean, maybe, you, maybe I, I, I don't know. But where was it? You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. All these things that we ask, the, the, the questions that we ask, you know, doesn't doesn't really matter it's what are the lessons that we're getting out of this what what does this what is why is this happening why is god doing it this way why is he bringing it along and that's the way you think you start to think when you think hebrew absolutely you you think differently and you're not upset by this stuff you know i was stalled by this idea that that uh, the the sons of uh, um, adam and eve married local girls is essentially what it was. Right. Where, where'd the local girls come? Wait a minute. From They're, the land of Nod. Where's the land of Nod? <laughs> yeah, and what's that story? What, Where'd what, that come from? Exactly. <laughs> what is it? It's like it's like it's thrown in. And it's because we, we're taking it so literally. And we think we're so sophisticated. I think that's a funny thing, actually. To me, it's over my life as a Christian. It's always been a funny thing, as I've sort of understood this, that we are not the sophisticated ones. We're so convinced we're so smart and so modern. And actually, they understood this in a fuller and better way. It's a much, much fuller understanding if we don't have to believe that there were two people and that Eve was made out of the rib of Adam, if that's the way he was. I, I remember I had a friend of mine that that was uh, uh, a nurse that said, well, you know, women have one fewer, one le- uh, excuse me, men have one less ribs than women. And I said, really? He says, yeah, well, they have one less rib because that's how they made, uh, that's how they made uh, women out of by taking the man's rib. She actually believed that. And, you know, it isn't meant to do that. It's meant to, it's meant to be more symbolic in nature. And, and I think when we, we get so hung up on this, these, this minutia, we miss the point. We miss the whole thing. There's, a, there's a, an idea here I'd like to share with you that's called the uh, rule of faith. And it's what you do when you need to choose between two ways of interpreting a text. In other words, you look at a text and you go, wow, this is, I'm not sure how to understand this. And you look at more than one way to understand it. And this rule of faith, you look at it, which which interpretation is more consistent with the rest of the Bible and with our faith. So when you look at two interpretations, you don't have to decide on, on one as the first one. You can analyze which one might fit. And the answer to that usually would be by this utilizing this rule of faith, which is how does it fit within the, the whole story of the Lord? You know, he's consistent throughout Scripture. Some specific things may seem out of place, but he will be consistent regardless of this. So this rule of faith allows us to go back and say, you know what, how is God throughout the rest of Scripture? If this seems something different, how is God in the rest of Scripture? What is this rule of faith? What is it, this constant thing that God is this one person, which interpretation reflects that one person. Absolutely. I think this, that's a great way to, to look at it. And, you know, I think you also have to understand there's there are people that dedicate their entire lives to this book, and they're just scratching the surface of understanding. But I go back to, in, in looking at it, uh, in, in the thinking Hebrew, like I said, the story is still the same. The lessons are still the same. It's still the same. The, the redemption of mankind starts here in the garden. It starts here. This is where we, we see the need for a savior immediately. That doesn't change. That that in no in no way changes. You know, well, you know, Adam didn't didn't, didn't do uh, his part in in standing up. Well, no, you know what? That doesn't change either. The story and the lessons of it 
don't change. What changes is the literal. And when you open, when you open your thinking up, when you open your mind up, you, you open your mind up to the Lord, I think the direction is, is much better. And like you said, you don't get hung up on the little things. Think about this. The Christian church, we believe Jesus Christ is the Savior. We believed he died on the cross and he was resurrected. It's the resurrection. It's the, it's the miracle of the resurrection that really separates Christians from everyone else. That's the deal. That is how he beat death. We accept him as our Savior and Lord and we get eternal life. That, that doesn't change. That is, that is consistent with all Christian churches that I know of. But how many different denominations do we have? Hundreds? Thousands? Why? Why? Because we get hung up on things like this. What was it? Well, I think Adam and Eve was, was actually two people. Well, maybe not. Well, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't worship with you. I mean, how, I, how silly are we? Like this stuff... The real stuff, the, the the little stuff doesn't doesn't matter. What really matters is is Christ coming to earth. And you still see that first need, that first where God set that in process. That's still there. All this stuff is still there. It just means looking at the Bible a little bit differently. Oh, Pat, you're exactly right. I can't actually add to that. It just means looking at the Bible in a four in a fuller way, and recognizing that these ancient Hebrew people who first heard the Bible, who first heard these stories, they were more sophisticated in understanding the nuances of the stories than we are. We demand that this be a newspaper, this be a textbook. It is not. It is more complicated than that. It has a variety of kinds of literature built into it, and you have to understand what you're reading. If you don't understand what you're reading, then you'll read it as people do in a wooden way, in a way that demands that, well, wait a minute, what's up with that? What about the, the, the sons? They married wives who came from the land of Nod. What, what's that? There was, you know, you just get, you get hung up, and we're not meant to. And I think the original hearers, would have heard it in a, in a way that truly, truly helps them in their lives. And we can read it in the same way. We can read it in the same way just by opening our minds and opening our hearts to the Holy Spirit, guiding us through this and trying to see ourselves in these stories. How are we like them? Absolutely. That's really what this is about. They're a mere reflection of us. How are we like them? How could we be different? How could we be better? What, would, what could we be that would be more satisfying to God, that God would be more approving of our lives and the way we live them how could that be? And that's really what we're meant to do when we read these stories. We're meant to look at them as a reflection of us. You know, Pat and I started this whole project on a quote from C.S. Lewis that meant so much to he and I, and it was, Christianity, if false, is of no consequences, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I pray that you will follow us in understanding Christianity as being the most important thing in our lives, not as being moderately important. We are not meant to be spectators to this world. We're meant to be participants, Christian participants in this world as it goes forward toward God. And we're meant to be a, a beacon of light in a dark world. And nobody be confused. We live in a dark world. We are meant to be the light in the dark world. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for opening this scripture to us. We thank you for opening it in a fuller and better way, of, a way that would have been understood by the original ancient hearers of the scriptures and a way that we have become so modern that we, we don't understand it in the same way, but we are meant to, Lord. May we place ourselves as if we were the original hearers. Lord, we should see them as a, 
specific historical people with a unique culture, location, and way of understanding the world around them. Lord, may we do that, and may we grow, and may we bring other people to you. In Jesus' holy and mighty, mighty name, amen. Amen. Amen.